I think we can all agree the current political moment is fraught. But how does it compare to the other fraught political moments in history? It felt for a time in part of that decade like everything was falling apart. Young people against old people, anti-war violence, peace movement. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. And this week, presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin joins me on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet. We talk about difficult times in America's history and how its people overcame them. The episode is out now. Search and follow Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Before we get into the story of this episode, I wanted to step back for a second. If you've been listening to the series, I hope you learned something about Latino history, about racism and policing, and got a window into a point of view you might never have considered before, or even known existed, that of a group of Latino officers caught between several identities. We've covered almost 40 years of the lives of these officers, this community they served, and the criminals they chased. At one point, those criminals came from within the squad. So it's been a complicated journey. It all started with a group of Houston police officers brought into homicide to deal with a very unique set of circumstances. This is Art Acevedo. When we spoke to him, Acevedo was chief of Houston's police department, the first Latino police chief the city ever had. They showed the value of diversity, they showed the strength of diversity, and they showed that when you're reflective of the community you serve, you get better outcomes. But you see that diversity can't just be at the officer level, at the detective level. We began this story, the story of this series, with the original sin. The death of Jose Campos Torres, a Latino Army veteran, at the hands of white Houston police officers. And in the wake of that tragedy, massive unrest. In the face of rising unsolved homicides, affecting a population that police could not communicate with, and riots over the relationship between HPD and the Latino community, a bold experiment was conceived. Five young Latino cops became homicide investigators, the first such police squad in America, the Chicano Squad. For 31 years, officers in the Chicano Squad were their first call when crimes were committed against Latinos in Houston. And they made an enormous impact. Yes, they were good at solving crimes, finding killers, kidnappers, and crooks, and bringing them to justice. But the Spanish-speaking Chicano Squad members built up so much trust in the Latino community that people came to them with all sorts of problems. They were more than investigators. They were true community-oriented police officers. Over the course of telling this story, we've gotten to know a couple of these officers pretty well. Cecil Mosqueda is one of them. He was one of the original members of the Chicano Squad. It took him three years of trying before he was admitted to the police academy, and most of his family was adamantly against him becoming a cop. But Cecil loved his job. He was dedicated in a way that didn't leave time for much else. My first daughter kind of grew up in front of me, and I made mistakes as a young man, and I wanted to be better at it. But it didn't work out that way. The job took everything out of my personal life. The Chicano Squad guys, at least the long-termers, 
we're all cut from the same cloth. So were the two women who joined the squad over time, Irma Lades Saucedo, who died in 2001, and D. Leal Cisneros. They were dedicated, compassionate, and smart officers who gave the badge their all. Even too much, perhaps. It was a fate Jim Montero, the elder statesman of the squad, could foresee playing out, and one that he tried to warn Cecil about when Montero retired in 1989 after 30 years. Don't work so hard, he told a younger Cecil. At the end, this department don't give a, they don't care. They really don't care. So you got to take care of yourself, Cecil. When you leave, Montero told him, the department won't care about all the extra blood, sweat, and tears you've given it. At the time, Cecil didn't understand Jim Montero's advice. I was a young cop. What are you talking about? I was having fun with him. Montero's prediction would unfortunately prove to be true. Cecil was relegated to a desk in 2010. The Chicano squad was officially disbanded in 2016. Their story was nearly lost. Records from cases they worked tirelessly disappeared. The police chief who helped create the squad fell ill. Former squad members passed away. Time, it seemed, was trying to erase their memory. That might have been the end of the story. But thanks to a few people who fought to correct the historical record, it's not. I'm Cristela Alonso, and from Frequency Machine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Chicano Squad. En esta ciudad hay necesidad, caught in the in-between, and swimming upstream. Of the original Chicano Squad members, Cecil was among the last to retire from the Houston Police Department in 2016. He wasn't sure if he was ready to leave the job he loved so much. He asked for a sign. And he got one. The pension board called. In October, he called me, and I'm like, what are you talking about? I wasn't ready. But the time was just right. And that was my answer. That first call comes out of nowhere. Cecil says he was one of the city's most expensive employees, having racked up more than nearly any other officer in his pension fund. As Cecil tells it, the board representative told him the fund was being reorganized, and Cecil was set to lose half his pension if he didn't retire by the end of the year. He worked through December, and then, after 42 years, he walked away. Or, at least physically. He had accrued so many unused days off that he remained on the payroll for five years. I never took off. I never went on vacation. I was blessed. I was never sick. The only reason I built up or had vacation, well, rainy day, because I didn't know when I was going to get hurt. And then I would use it. It was a career that gave Cecil his identity, his motivation, his direction. And he gave it his life. So did Jaime Escalante. Jim Montero, and so many others who joined the Houston Police Department over time. The Latino officers on the Chicano squad also gave the department their identity to some extent. 
literally becoming walking advertisements for the racial diversity that was possible in Texas's municipal police departments. Here's Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo again. We need to be reflective, whether it's ethnicity or race or gender. We need to be reflective in all communities need to feel like they have a seat at the table. And I think when you look at our command staff today and you look at our department today, we are so diverse. Indeed. The U.S. Department of Justice found that in recent years, HPD is moving in the right direction when it comes to hiring non-white officers and being more representative of the population it serves. Based on data from the U.S. Census Bureau, Houston is ranked among the top 10 most diverse cities in recent years. Its police department should be diverse, but there is still a lot of work to be done. And in fact, that's part of why we wanted to tell this story. Before the story of the Chicano squad was lost, we wanted to understand what we might be able to learn from it, what worked and what didn't. And yet, in the modern day context, we also understand that it's not that simple. Yes, Art Acevedo, who was born in Cuba, was the first Latino police chief of Houston. But his tenure at the helm of HPD has been rocky at times. In the summer of 2020, he won some praise for limiting his officers' use of pepper spray and less lethal bullets against people protesting the killing of George Floyd. Yet many in town were still full of criticism over the 2019 deadly Houston police shooting of a husband and wife in their 50s after a botched no-knock raid. And similarly, the officers in the Chicano squad, while they made an enormous impact on policing in Houston and changed relationships with the Latino community, they were still police officers. And some people never saw them as much more. Like Carlos Calvillo who made a film about the death of Jose Campos Torres and who is still an activist today. It started off as being something that, that the city thought would be very beneficial. And uh, it did have some benefits, but mixed results. That's how I feel. Race also became more complex for Janie Torres and her family in the aftermath of her brother Jose Campos Torres's death. The Torreses quickly learned that police brutality didn't only affect Latinos. It affected people of all races. I've met other families also in the past, and I've heard their stories and I've talked to them and things like that. And I tried to give them hope. And each case is different with the same results. They were murdered and they got no justice. This is not just a Texas problem. This is a nationwide problem. For Janie, her brother's death was a life-changing event. Decades later, she still regularly marches and protests police violence in Houston. In 2020, she joined the throngs of Houstonians who took to the streets after native Houstonian George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis as she protested Floyd's death alongside millions of others worldwide. In the middle of a global pandemic, Janie Torres was even arrested. Here she is in a video she filmed at those protests. All right, here we go. Day two, downtown Houston. We're at it again. Like I say, we gotta keep the pressure on. So many people out there 
fighting for justice for decades and we never get it. What do you expect the people to do? How do you expect the people to feel? Also marching along with Janie and hundreds of others in Houston was Carlos Calvillo. On the other side of the police shields, former Chicano squad officer Jaime Escalante. Suddenly, the department was not only battling the spread of COVID-19 like the rest of Houston, which had become a hotspot for the pandemic, but a wave of civil unrest that was bringing people out into the streets. The novel coronavirus swept through HPD, sidelining 200 officers who were on quarantine in late June. As COVID cases climb in Houston, so have 911 calls for Houston police. No one crime trend is driving the increase, just signs of the city reopening. The more dramatic increase is the 400% jump in officers in quarantine for COVID exposure. For two weeks, Jaime Escalante was on exhausting 12-hour shifts with no time off. And while he did wear a police uniform, he felt no empathy for the officers involved in Floyd's death. Those officers never should have done that. I mean, they're, they're going to pay for it. They're not going to give them any breaks. It wasn't necessarily anything new, the public being displeased with the police. But the constant stress and feeling of being in the middle of a whirlpool finally wore him out. 39 years and, it's, you know, the defining moment in life where you just got to, you know, it's not fun anymore. A few weeks after our interview, a Houston police sergeant with 41 years on the force was shot and killed by a man involved in a domestic dispute. The sergeant was 65 and friends had urged him to retire or at least get off patrol and sit behind a desk. In October, while Jaime was using up his vacation days for the year, we texted him, asking what his retirement date was. Like now, he replied. So I started burning those 20 days that I had to burn before the end of the year. And, uh, and while I was off, I'm like, fuck this shit, I ain't going back. Just like back when Jaime and Cecil joined the department, people still want to feel safe and not have to worry about crime where they live, work, and play. But other aspects of policing have changed since the Chicano Squad's heyday. Back then, the phrase community policing wasn't a well-known buzzword or a concept taught by academy instructors. The squad had learned on the job, not just how to be investigators, but how to reconnect with a community that had feared their department. As much progress as the squad had made, though, the ground beneath them continued to shift. Across the country, a raging pandemic caused incredible stress for so many Americans, millions of whom are still looking for work. In summer 2020, in the wake of George Floyd's death, many communities started to demand changes to police department budgets and policies. Meanwhile, homicide rates have spiked, albeit still far below peaks in 1970 and 1980. Houston is no exception. Last June, Houston's mayor created a task force to make recommendations on how to reform the police department. After studying the issues for a few months, the group released its findings in a 154-page report. In it, authors said that, quote, the lived experience of black and brown Houstonians points to a problem in the culture of policing that we believe mandates immediate reform. 
Even Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo told the task force he got nervous when a police officer pulled up behind him. When we come back, a history 40 years in the making is finally recognized. This week on The Gray Area, writer Derek Thompson makes his case that everything has become a cult. Well, almost everything. Is Taylor Swift the closest thing we have to a mass cult today? I, 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 no, I think she's the closest thing we have to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Find out if you're in a cult this week on The Gray Area, wherever you get your podcasts. When we began to research the story of the Chicano Squad, one of the things that struck us was many of the original squad members' insistence that they really hadn't done anything extraordinary. We just had a job to do and we did it was the most common sentiment we heard from them over and over. Maybe they were being humble. Or maybe they had been so focused on their day-to-day mission that the big picture didn't really factor into their view of themselves. However, even though the Chicano squad may not have seen themselves as actively pushing for change, at HPD in the 1980s and 1990s, they were the face of the change seen taking place across the country. And as is the case with so many individuals and groups who found themselves at the leading edge of change, the intensity of their work took a deep personal toll on the members of the squad. In light of the continued issues around racism, Cecil had to wonder, after all these years, as he looked around him on his first day off the job, what was it all worth? Jim Montero's advice from all those years ago started to make more sense. Because I was always busy, I didn't spend the time with my daughter, my first daughter, like I wanted to. And by the time I knew it, she was 18. And I looked back, and where was I? Cecil's oldest daughter, Laura Cook, doesn't remember him being around much in her youth. She never knew him without his job at the Houston Police Department. I didn't think he would ever retire. I thought he'd work till the day he died. I'd have to scrape him out of there. (laughs) His police family stayed somewhat close, at least gathering occasionally for reunions. Once a year or so, the original members of the squad would meet for a meal in Houston. Maybe someone would bring a photo album, and for a few hours over a few beers, they'd reminisce about all they'd seen and all they'd done. The good times and the bad, but mostly the good. Cecil skipped the funeral in 2011 for John Castillo, who'd been Bobby Gatewood's partner on the Chicano Squad's night shift, before Gatewood got busted in 1991 for conspiring to steal drugs. No one really kept up with Bobby Gatewood. We made a truce a long time ago, and I told him a long time ago, that regardless of what happened, we'll still remain friends. And he still holds. I haven't seen him to this day. I have not seen him. And I don't know what I would tell him if I saw him again. I I have nothing to really tell him. And I don't 
I don't know how to say, why did you do it? Only he knows that. Bobby Gatewood did his time. He was released in 2014 and spent another five years on probation. He lost so much, and in the eyes of some, forever stained the Chicano squad's legacy. That is, what legacy we could find. When we started reporting this story, we were shocked at how many people, even Houstonians, had never heard of the Chicano squad. When the Houston Police Department opened their shiny new police museum in 2007, the Chicano squad was left out. Their legacy, it seemed, would only be carried in the hearts of the people whose lives they touched. As we researched and reported this story, events began to unfold on the ground that might change the last words ever written about the squad. In 2019, a Hispanic man elected to Houston City Council got wind of the Chicano squad's story. Robert Gallegos was raised in the Magnolia Park area, the seventh child born to strict Mexican immigrants. He grew up in Houston in the 1960s, watching some friends get caught up in crime too young and doing his best to stay out of trouble. One day after they'd graduated from high school, his best friend came over and invited him to a protest at Moody Park to speak out against the death of Jose Campos Torres. He politely declined, but remembered the turmoil and tension between police and his neighbors. He quickly became fascinated by the Chicano squad's plight and had to know more. Out of nowhere, Cecil's phone rang. Councilman Gallegos called all of the original members, except for Bobby Gatewood, and invited them to his office for a chat. They were telling me their stories and what they've done and what they did in that squad, but yet did not get the recognition. Back then, they didn't even get the respect from their uh, commanding officers in regards to where they were placed and in regards to do their work, the type of work they were being given, and just really not recognized. Robert Gallegos had been a teenager when Jose Campos Torres was found dead. Gallegos remembered the story well, especially since two of his older brothers were Vietnam veterans themselves. But he hadn't paid much attention to what happened between the police and the Latino community afterwards. And he especially was naive to the fact that even while the Chicano squad was working to rebuild relationships and regain trust, they faced racism and difficulties from within the very police department and city where they worked. It's not that they were just out in the community trying to solve crime in the Hispanic community, but also hearing the stories of how they were even being treated. Finally, the men told Robert Gallegos that a special date was approaching. At the end of all this, for them to say, you know, we're about to celebrate our 40th anniversary, but we've never been recognized. And that right there you know, opened my eyes. Almost 40 years after the Chicano squad had been created, Councilman Gallegos, one of only two Hispanic members of the Houston City Council at that time, set a plan in motion to remedy that and give the Chicano squad its due recognition at last. After running it by Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner and Police Chief Art Acevedo, Robert Gallegos honored the Chicano squad with a proclamation at City Hall, but this time an even more permanent remembrance. 
a display in the Houston Police Museum. He dedicated $7,000 of his own city council budget for the job. As a council member, now I'm able to give them the, the respect and, and, and the recognition that they so much deserved. It was an honor to do that. Houston police officer Stephen Duffy was assigned the behemoth task of building the display and writing the proclamation, which all had to be historically accurate, of course. Through this process, we commiserated with Duffy, even sharing what we'd found in university libraries, city archives, and sources' closets. Like us, he ran into roadblocks in the search for records time after time. Hurricane Harvey destroyed city and county archives. Few on the squad actually kept their memorabilia after decades and divorces and moves. There are few actual pieces of data related to the squad's activities. Not everyone is keen on including Bobby Gatewood. The records he did obtain from HPD and one news station seem whitewashed, featuring racist slang and all Anglo sources, respectively. Through meetings with squad members along Texas highways to swap memorabilia, and a deliberate and thorough search for records, Duffy completed his proclamation on the eve of the city council event. It's August 20th, 2019. Members of the Chicano squad, along with supportive family members and friends, step out of air-conditioned cars and into the blistering heat outside of Houston City Hall. They pass through metal detectors, then take elevators and stairs up to the second floor and file through the doors of the wood-paneled Art Deco-style city council chambers, where they shake hands, embrace each other, and take their seats. It's exactly 40 years after the squad members first reported to duty in their one-room office at 61 Reasoner. Standing before city council is serious business, and as the ceremony begins, the room feels formal and intimate, like we were all waiting for a bride to walk down the aisle at her wedding. Then, the men are asked to come forward, and the five original members of the squad stand proudly in shiny shoes and press suits as Councilman Gallego speaks. Anger, distrust, and fear kept many Spanish-speaking Houstonians from reporting crimes to the police. HPD had a serious problem, and they needed to fix it. So a young detective, Jim Montero, spoke to his captain and the chief of police about forming a unit with officers that could speak Spanish and had valuable knowledge of the local Hispanic communities from which they came. Their work was vital. The men stood proudly facing the city council as Mayor Sylvester Turner praised the members of the squad for enabling Latinos to become law enforcement and political leaders. Afterwards, they took group photos, first with the original members surrounding a grinning Jim Montero, and then with their beaming family members. Everyone on the dais had something positive to say about the squad and its contributions. Let me just thank you for your dedication and your service during some very difficult times within this organization in very difficult moments. But you stood in the gap and you served as a bridge for so many others to cross over. And the good news is that the bridge that you built is strong enough for a lot more. 
So therefore I, Sylvester Turner, Mayor City of Houston, hereby proudly proclaim this day, August 20, 2019, as HVD Chicano Squad Day. Jim Montero, the original father of the squad, spoke on their behalf. The two dozen friends and family members there in support sat in silence as he started to speak, some wiping tears from their eyes. We felt honored working in Homicide Division uh, on a special deal that was needed, and we felt greater honor when the community accepted us. We didn't care where they were from, who they were. If they were victims of a crime, we were there to help them. So I know that I speak for all the fellow members of the Chicano Squad, the originals and the others that went on afterwards. We thank you from the bottom of our heart. And man, what a journey it had been. In 1950, a Latino man entered the Houston Police Academy to become the department's first Latino policeman. The Chicano Squad was created out of necessity to be able to talk to a growing population of the city and also had a front row seat to the diversification of the department. In 2015, Houston Police Chief Charles Chuck McClelland proudly claimed that the department was the most diversified big city department in the country. Here's Craig Farrell, who left the department in 2011. Chief McClellan had the honor of being able to, to announce that Houston was the first major police department in the nation that was over 50% um, minority, and that the majority race, um, uh, it was a majority minority department. There was more men and women of color than there were of Caucasians in the Houston Police Department. So that was kind of nice because that's reflective of our town. When I left, it was more languages spoken in Houston than New York City. With the proclamation, an important acknowledgement of the Chicano Squad's contribution to Houston and HPD was sealed. But that still left the matter of what the public knew, and mostly didn't know, about the squad. But that was about to change, too. Back before the pandemic, in October of 2019, the Chicano Squad members got together once more, this time at the Houston Police Department headquarters for the unveiling of the museum display case. There wasn't nearly enough room for friends, family, and the dozen former Chicano Squad members who gathered to reminisce about how they changed the city. Seated shoulder to shoulder, the members of the squad couldn't hide their pride as they waited for the events to begin. Art Acevedo, the city's first Latino police chief, told the original members. We're so proud of everything you did, not just for the community, everything you did, not just for a city. So for the many years to come, people will never forget that there was a beginning to the normalization of Latinos serving in the Houston Police Department. And these great men who, by the way, still look like they can don a gun belt and come right back to work and solve crime, these great men actually are the ones that made that happen. The squad's memorabilia and photos now sit alongside other relics of the department. Old cruisers, a helicopter that dangles from the ceiling, uniforms, badges, antique weapons, and proclamations. Sitting in the crowd that October day, as city and county leaders heaped praise onto the Chicano Squad alumni in the police museum, was Laura Cook, Ciso Mosqueda's oldest daughter, who'd never really known their story before. We were all there, you know, to support him. 
it was just kind of like, oh, wow, okay. I didn't know you did all this. <laughs> you know? Seeing their legacy inside of the glass case, Laura finally understood a little more about where her father was all of those nights and weekends. So many members of the Chicano squad were there that day. The original members, yes, but also members who'd enriched the group in later years, like Toby Hernandez and D. Cisneros Leal, whose husband, also a Houston police officer, died of COVID-19 in November of 2020. Many had grown up just like Cecil had and managed to take similar paths, from a kid on the brink of trouble to a decorated, well-respected police sergeant who'd done so much for Houston. When he first retired, Cecil moved back to the neighborhood where he grew up, Northside, to be closer to his father, who'd left the family when Cecil was a young boy. They visited often, and Cecil listened patiently as his father talked to him about religion, the Bible, and his life. And of course, he was always trying to apologize why he did these things, and, and I know he had a lot of guilt, because well, I had a lot of brothers and sisters, and he really felt real bad because he abandoned them, so to speak, as a father. I said, Pop, I said, hey, it is what it is. I said, don't, don't worry about it. Then, a few months into Cecil's retirement, his father died. Now it's Cecil's turn to be reflective. It seems like as soon as he retired, the drive that had been constant to work nonstop suddenly turned off. He still works out occasionally at the police department gym, but otherwise stays mostly to himself and remains close with his family. He reads the Bible and pays attention to the news and jokes that he might one day become a politician. My goal was to see the other side of the world and the police department. It was a good journey. It was a good, it was a good trip. It was a good uh, uh, profession. But... Uh, is there something else out there? Uh, I don't have that answer. Whose stories deserve to be told? To be remembered? When we dove into researching this story, we ran into roadblocks everywhere we turned. Files that no longer existed. Victims whose names were lost to time. Cases that were never officially counted as clearances for the Chicano Squad. Though we heard over and over again how much the Chicano Squad accomplished in their decades of service, obtaining records that could paint a full picture of their contributions to policing in Houston was a challenge. The Squad was relegated to a footnote in HPD and Houston history. If nobody records a legacy, makes a full, and complete account of it, it isn't long before it disappears. That was what drove us to tell this story. I am so grateful to have been a part of bringing this history to life. It's personal for me. I'm passionate about highlighting the contributions that Latinos have made to this country. For so long, they've been hidden are overlooked. And now, the Chicano Squad's story is recorded for all time and will never be lost. And you've all been a part of that. Thank you so much for listening.
You know the city feels torn up between chaos and crime. So much tension keeps building up, getting harder all the time. We're working, fighting, needing to believe. La raza sacrifica so our dreams can be achieved. Things are gonna be different. Yeah, you better believe in esta ciudad. As we wrap up the Chicano Squad, we want to give special thanks to some of the people who were instrumental in helping us tell the story. U.S. Latinx archivist Carla O. Alvarez at the Benson Latin American Collection. Emily Vinson at the University of Houston Library's Special Collections. Senior Police Officer Stephen Duffy at the HPD Museum. Micaela Selly at the Houston Metropolitan Research Center. The staff of the Woodson Center at Rice University. Houston Police Department's Open Records Division. Harris County Archives Division staff. Houston City Council member Robert Gallegos, and Mike Kanan at the Texas Observer. We'd also like to thank Jim Montero, Sergio Salvera, Pete Mosqueda, Tacho Mindiola, Johnny Mata, Mitchell Roth, Ben Reyes, Art Contreras, as well as all the amazing individuals you heard interviewed in this series. Chicano Squad is a production of Frequency Machine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Our show is produced by Eva Ruth Moravec and Dominique Ferrari. Associate producers for this episode are Melanie Rodriguez and Cynthia Betubiza. Our show was written by Eva Ruth Moravec and edited by Nashat Kurwa and Stacey Book. Engineering and sound design from Brandon McFarland. Our theme music was composed by The Amazing Brownout. Fact-checking by Charlotte Silver. Chicano Squad is executive produced by Nishat Kurwa for Vox Media and Stacey Book, Dominique Ferrari, and Avi Glijansky for Frequency Machine. I'm Cristela Alonso. If you like this episode and think this story is important, then you obviously have great taste. And one of the best ways to support us is to share it with your family and friends wherever you listen to podcasts. It's also important to share to ensure that stories like these keep getting told.